Rich, today we're sitting down with the CEO of Orion Media, Matt Edmondson. He's coming to us from across the ocean, from Liverpool, England. And Matt has developed an expertise in e-commerce, not only for himself, but also coaches these clients that have generated north of $100 million of e-com sales. And his philosophy on stop selling time and start selling products, and almost any business can do it, and really asking yourself, how does the business run when I'm not here? And can you make money while you sleep? I thought it was great. Yeah, absolutely. To your point, a lot of us trade our time for dollars. In e-com space, you can actually have good products and services that are sold online that can generate while you're not there running the business. So something that a lot of entrepreneurs and businesses need to think about, a lot of core philosophies in this conversation as well that I think our audience will enjoy. So here's Matt Edmondson. Today's episode is being brought to you by Financial Wing. Are your company's financials keeping you up at night? We all know that today's small to medium-sized businesses often overlook the fundamentals of accounting and financial operations. Our friends at Financial Wing can help with everything from bookkeeping, monthly closing and reporting, budget planning, and much, much more. Financial Wing's reliable and professional approach will quickly build your trust and turn your finances into an asset versus a liability. Go to financialwing.com EU for your free 30-minute consultation and see what they can do for you. Matt, thanks for joining us on the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Oh, great to be here, John. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. It's great that we can talk like this far away. You're in England. We're over here in the United States. And it's great to always have entrepreneurs from different geographical regions that may experience things a little bit differently. And would love to start off by just hearing your story, not what you're doing today, but your story as an entrepreneur. Can you please give us maybe a short little glimpse of that? Yeah, I... I always knew I wanted to run my own business ever okay. since I was a kid. It started at school. I ran a tuck shop at school, which is a sweet shop. I sold candy, basically. And that was really, that was my sort of first step into the whole thing. In fact, it was so good, the school closed it down and they ran it themselves because they saw how much money I was making, which was my first introduction to supplier madness. And so from there, I did the whole college thing. I worked for a friend of mine who was an entrepreneur who I really admired actually and I thought it'd be good to go get mentored for a couple of years and so I worked for him and then ventured out on my own literally a few weeks after my firstborn had been born and <laughs> I could have died timing was not perfect but it was what it was and from there everything snowballed a lot of things went wrong a lot of things went very wrong but a few things have gone right and more things have gone right than have gone wrong if that makes sense and so we're still here However many years later, I've lost count, what, 20 or okay. 25 years later. I definitely want to double click on what went well. But before we go there, we have to ask what didn't go well. And you, you <laughs> gave a little bit of a hint to maybe starting your own business after your first newborn. Maybe the timing wasn't great. But in terms of your entrepreneurial lessons that helped you build a foundation to be successful, what were some of those foundational learning elements that you learned as an entrepreneur? There's two aspects to that question, really. The first aspect is... What did you, uh, the actual mechanics of running a business, what's helped you there? And two, I would say it's relationship. And if I look back at the biggest problems that we've had, or that I've had, the biggest heartaches, the biggest failures, the things that went the most wrong, I would put it down to relationship, like a failed business partnership or suppliers going uh, and doing things which you just never expected them to do. So we had a, a business, we were turning over what would it be in US dollars about, I guess about 9 million a year, something like that. It was growing and we were growing quite rapidly. It was an online business. And the supplier, 95% of our sales were through one supplier. We sold their products that accounted for 95% of our sales. 
And I didn't plan for this. That's on me as much as it is anybody. But the supplier put their prices up overnight. I got a letter from them. No call, no warning it was going to happen. Just a letter saying, basically, the more you buy now, the more you pay. And so my prices went up by 30%. My sales dropped by 50% the first month. I had to let people go. And it was just, it was horrific. But out of that, we learned a lot. So I would say it was the tough parts have always been with because of people. So like that supplier, I obviously didn't have a very good relationship with them. I had a business partner for many years. We were very good friends. Our families were very close. And towards the end of our business, it all went very sour very quickly all around money. And it shouldn't have done really, but it did. And that's always heartbreaking. I'd say the failures have always been around relationship. So when you had these learnings, right? A failed partner, maybe customer concentration with a supplier that turned out that it didn't have a strong relationship with and hurt your entire business. How did you, those two specific learnings, if we just dove a little bit deeper into each of them, what would you change going forward in both of those situations? Is it like, look, I no longer want any partners anymore. Is it vetting them better? Is it diversifying your supplier base? Like, what are the key components you took out of both of those relationship learnings? Yeah, I don't have an issue with business partners. I think, I guess if I could go back in time and have a conversation with myself about it, the thing that I would say is this is going to come to an end. You don't think it's ever going to come to an end and you never think it's going to end badly when the business partnership starts because everyone's so full of anticipation and expectation. It's exciting. It's a new journey. Why would you? And so the learning from that is whenever I've done business partnerships going forward, right at the start, I spend a lot of time hammering out expectations and I spend a lot of time now hammering out what's going to happen when this thing's end or if somebody wants out and we write it down and we get it drawn up in a legal contract even if it's with friends now that in itself is still no guarantee but at least you've agreed it beforehand what is going to happen and you've talked about it and you've acknowledged that this is a possibility so when I started that business partnership I never I always thought we'd be in business together I never expected it to end up because I was in my early 20s. I couldn't see past my 30s, let alone anywhere anywhere else. So I think for me, the learning there is understand how something is going to end because inevitably it will do. And it can end fairly and it can end equitably. And it's easier to talk about that at the start than it is when it's really horrendous at the other end. Because as soon as it gets legal, the only people that ever win are lawyers. It just is the case. You're not going to win there. I would say plan the ending at the start. And I say that's actually true for your business. When you're starting a business, even if you're not in a business partnership, how is this going to end it might not end how you think it's going to end but what's your exit strategy what's the exit point what do you need from this are you going to do this between now and the rapture i don't know what's the plan there what's the exit point and to think about that and to plan for that and then i'd say with the supplier the big learning there the big learning there was i'd come off the back of a business where the relationship with the supplier was phenomenal And they were great people. It was a German company. Everything was done on a handshake. Everybody was just true to their word and very helpful. I think for me, the learning there was not everybody is like that. There are things, bigger things to think about. And so I think, again, if I'm going into a relationship with a supplier, what's going to happen when it ends? To think about that as an entrepreneur. If this ended today, would my business survive? Yes or no? And if the answer is no, what can I do to mitigate that? And how can I work around that? Because as good as my supplier is today, tomorrow is going to be a different day, you know? It seems like it's just proper planning. Uh, Rich, I don't know if you recall, proper planning prevents piss poor performance, but proper yeah, planning yeah. can also avoid catastrophic ends of relationships. And yeah, it can. I, way too many entrepreneurs go into business a little loosey goosey 
uh, on the forefront and having a good operating agreement, a buy-sell agreement, all that is so mm -hmm. critical. And you're right, having that divorce conversation, because at some point this is going to end, not mm -hmm. do this forever. If we do, great. But how do we plan around it is great learnings to start off this conversation. Let me flip right back over to the other side. What have been the big successes that have drowned those learnings? I think for me, um, most of my business life has been in e-commerce. Okay. I got into e-commerce because I decided in my early in my entrepreneur journey, I was going to start coding websites because they were super popular at the time. This was in the late nineties. So 2002, I launched my first online store and I sold that six months later. And the thing that happened there was the first day I woke up and somebody had bought products off my website whilst I was asleep. I will never forget, right? The fact that I could get richer as I slept was just mind boggling to me. And so I, if you add up all our worldwide sales on my e-com sites, it's over 75 million. If you add up the turnover of all my coaching clients, it's over a hundred million dollars. And so that, that small beginning grew into significant sales, all of which have been online. And so for me, the thing that I love about online is I can sell a small repeatable product and if I can do that really well, holy moly, that's brilliant. That's awesome. And we've tried various things online, but the things that we have found that work well are small products that are repeatable. Beauty creams, supplements, those kind of things work super well for us and certainly how we do marketing. And I think it's in some respects, it's easier to get a thousand people to spend $50 and one person to spend $50,000. And I can do that with e-commerce and I can spread my risk. That to me was a phenomenal learning. Stop selling time, start selling products. And if, even if you sell time, so we have, we have a, an agency where we do coaching and consulting, especially around digital and podcasting and things like that. So again, the same thing applies there. You take the principle of e-commerce. How do I get rich while I'm sleeping? I'm never going to get rich while I'm sleeping if I'm selling time. But is there something that I can commoditize here? Is there a product that I can bring to market based on my coaching, based on what we're doing, that I can sell, that people will buy whilst I'm asleep, that I don't need to be there for 24-7? Because that's what gives me the freedom to run the business how I want to run the business. And that, for me, has been the big thing. What are, what's the product? Sell the product. If there's no product, create a product that you can sell to your clients. No, I'm not saying don't have a sell time, but have other stuff that you can sell and then figure out a way to sell it while you sleep. You said you had a hundred million dollars in revenue created from coaching clients. Roughly ballpark, how many coaching clients have you had? Between 50 and 100, maybe somewhere around there. Okay. So in the 50 to 100, I'd love to hear about a success story of someone who thought they did not have an e-commerce product who based on your coaching they came to the realization that they could in fact and they were able to make the transition from selling time to selling products but they wouldn't have done it without your help so <clears throat> i can give you some, some examples of medical practice so the way we do medicine in the uk is very different to say how you do it in the states we have the national health service here healthcare is free regardless of who you are and what income you have you don't need separate medical insurance everything's access so it's always fascinating to me when I go and travel the world and you have very different healthcare systems in the States and New Zealand and all this sort of stuff. And the thing that I noticed in one particular 
country was they had this system whereby part of your healthcare was paid for by the government, but you had to also partly pay for it. And so I was working with a medical practice, which really, uh, to this day, I still am a little bit shocked by it because how's medicine tied to e-commerce? But it was I was brought in and I just loved it. And just thinking about how can you bring the realm of what we know from digital to medicine? So just simple things like Patients being able to pay online, patients being able to book appointments online. I remember sitting there in the medical practice. I just went and sat in the waiting room with everybody else. And I thought to myself, I don't want to sit here. Everyone's sick. I don't feel sick. And I definitely don't want to get sick. So how can we use technology so I don't have to sit in a waiting room? And so we played around with a lot of those things. And what is now commonplace in, and I'm not taking any credit for the fact it's now commonplace at all. I think I was probably one of a thousand people at any one point in time thinking about these things. But what is now commonplace in the medic in, in medical practices, you don't have to see the doctor. You can talk to your doctor online. You can pay for your appointments online. You can order your pre-prescriptions online. You can do all of that stuff using digital. And I can do all of that without actually, with the exception of talking to the doctor, most of it I can do without bothering the doctor and I can do it whilst he's asleep now. And so there's a lot of stuff like that in the medical side of things, which I think is a great example of something that is very traditional. The customer goes to a place, they have to see a person, and don't ever think outside those lines because the tram lines are set and we have to do that. Um, but that's not true at all. And you can use digital to, and these sort of principles we learn from e-commerce to totally transform that. So just doing simple things like we wrote some code where they, where all of the bad debts, i.e. someone had not paid for their prescription charge. So what happened was it just sent out an email. After three days, the prescription not been paid. Please pay your thing. Here's a link and you can pay this online now. And so you sent them a link. And then if they didn't pay after seven days, they sent them another email. And after 20 days, they sent them a third email. And if they'd still not paid, they maybe sent them a text message. I can't remember the exact routine. But then finally, the customer accounts were notified and then they would chase the debt. So what happened was you ended up saving months and months of time for the accounts clerk because the computer was chasing up all the debt and 95% of it was cleared before it got to her. Whereas before she was chasing it all the time. So yeah, there's lots of examples like that where actually little things make a massive difference. There's one client in New Zealand who, <laughs> I'll never forget this. I went over and we we're doing a big project with him and his company turned over, I'm guessing around 50, 60 million New Zealand dollars. It's a, it was a reasonable pharmaceutical company, a pharmaceutical company. And we went in and we started to look at their business and we started to think, how can we take the principles that we have learned here? And so in e-commerce, because everything comes down to speed, I've got to make sure that the order gets out as fast as is humanly possible. And I've got to make sure that the order we send out is right. Two key things. And so we looked at this pharmaceutical company and we were looking around the warehouse, talking to them. And a few concepts came up immediately. One was heat maps, i.e. The, the most ordered products put those closest to the pick and pack station so they can pick and pack them quicker. Um, and the third, the second one came down to getting the orders right. And I remember I was after like the second or third day of being on site in New Zealand, which was an absolute joy. I walked into the office of the MD and I said, if I show you a way where you can instantly make an extra million dollars a year in the next week, would you give me 20% of that net increase? <laughs> and uh, I've become very good friends with this, this chap. He looked me in the face and he, 
in no uncertain terms, told me to sod off. There was no way he was paying me an extra money, but I could definitely tell him how he could make an extra million. And it all came down to the fact that I just made a very simple calculation on the back of a piece of paper. They were losing over a million a year just because they were sending out the wrong parcels to the wrong client. And so I was like, there is a very simple mechanism that you can use, which will solve this. So you've got a 99.9% .9 accuracy rate going out. And if you can do that, you'll make an extra million a year. And there's all kinds of stories. I don't know if that's helpful or if that has answered your question. Yeah, very helpful. Just a couple examples of some of the, the magic of e-commerce that you've been able to bring to uh, fewer clients. So thanks for that. I heard you say three or four times in slightly different ways over the course of our conversation so far, this piece about while you sleep. And what mm -hmm. I took a note on as you were just speaking in this last piece was, is the primary question you challenge your clients to answer is what can happen while you sleep? It sounds like that's what you're trying to optimize. And it may be selling the product. It may be booking an appointment. It may be pain. But at the end of the day, what do you not need a human for? Maybe you're yeah. using a human for now so that something critical in your business can happen while you sleep. Let's mm -hmm. find that. That sounds like a core principle of how you work with clients. And I just wanted to check in there. Yeah, it's a very good, it's a very good summary, the kind of thing that I would be looking for. Yeah. What how do I get this business to run when I'm not here? Whether I'm asleep on the beach in Tahiti, wherever. How does this business run with me not being here? Which is a crucial question to ask if you're a business selling time. So if your business is built around your core service which is, I don't know, say consulting. I go into companies and do consulting. If that was my core business or my core income, the question would then be, how do I build a business where that's not my core income, where I can, this business will function in a, irrespective of whether I'm on site or whether I'm not. And I call it the, the show hammer effect or the show hammer methodology. And this all came down to a chap I met years ago called Stefan Scholhammer. I don't know if he still is, actually. I've not seen him for a few years, but Stefan Scholhammer at the time was the MD of a German company which manufactures saunas and steam rooms. And at the time, I was when I was working for the guy I was being mentored by, and in subsequent years, I carried on that business, but I imported the saunas and steam rooms from Germany into the UK, and I had the right to distribute them here in the UK and sell them. And they were very good, and they still are very good, world-class units. And I remember sitting down one day with Stefan. And bear in mind, this is a big company in Germany. It's 500, right? And saunas in Germany are a big deal. Not so much in the UK, but certainly in Germany, a massive thing. And he... I remember him taking out a napkin and on the napkin, he said to me, Matt, I want to explain to you what's going to happen in your business. And I need you to understand this because this will change how you work going forward. And he said, what happens is people buy clafts or people like you, they import it into the country. And what you do is you go after the really big projects. And what he meant by that was say a big spa installation or a big hotel installation, something that's going to have a turnover figure in the region of quarter of a million to half a million, somewhere around there would be a fairly sizable project. You could get projects at one, two, three, four million. Um, but every, he said everybody wants these hotel projects that bring in half a million because the profit margin on half a million was pretty good on the class products. And so you can make a lot of money out of doing this. He said, the problem is when you plot that plot out your cash flow, he says it becomes very boom bust. 
So your cash flow is good because I've just got another half a million. But that will dwindle over the next few months because the sales process is maybe a year to 18 months before you get the next one. And so he says, you go boom, bust, boom, bust all of the time. And he said, this is why suppliers come and go. And he said, what we do here in Germany is we predominantly focus on the small, quick, repeatable sale. And so this was not necessarily going out and getting the, the glamorous two, three, four million dollar installations. This was go out and get a five, ten thousand dollar installation. And domestic saunas were very big in Germany, very big part of their culture. And so he, they focused very intently. They built showrooms around domestic saunas. Everything was geared to sell a 5,000 euro sauna 20 times a day. That's just, and he said, what happens is if I focus on that, which is a much easier sale and a much shorter sales time, he said, it gives me this sort of constant cash flow. And he said, my sole aim is to make sure that cash flow covers our break even. And he said, if you then do the projects on top of that, the boom bust, then you get some really super profits and that enables a growth. And so I always remember him drawing this napkin with time on the bottom, money on the vertical axis, this sort of this key line that went across, which covered his base income and then his bigger projects on top of that. And I was like, it's a I, call, I just call it the Shoalhammer model because that he was just the guy that showed it to me. And so in every business I've had since then, I'm always like, what can I do that is repeatable, simple and easy that's going to bring in this consistent income? It doesn't need me. It, I'm not selling time. And then I can do the consulting projects, which are the big projects, which are maybe a longer sales cycle. They bring in more money, but they're on top of this base level of income, which gives you the longevity in business, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And Rich, this may sound familiar from our past. There are, we used to work in the construction industry and doing commercial construction together. And we used to have these boom and bust type of projects. Okay, go install the 3,000 locations. It'd be like us oh, massive project for a month. But then the next month would be like, okay, now the revenue stream's done. And what we learned over time was to build reoccurring monthly revenue streams with customers that really stabilized the business. And then when those big projects came in, it was like, Yes. And now we have this big cash infusion from this big project, but the stability of the business was solidified. So it's yeah. the foundational revenue stream of the business is issue critical, number one, for an entrepreneur. And then getting those big projects is kind of like the cherry on top, you know, sprinkle in a few of those every year. So I really love the, the Showhammer model that you're talking about because it really speaks loudly to what is your business doing to create that recurring, consistent revenue stream by doing repeatable, simple, and easy. And focus on that and continue to grow that as you build your business. I have a different question completely. Rich and I are not e-com individually. I don't, we don't sell currently stuff on, on e-com, I don't believe. I think maybe at some point, Rich had a little eBay business on the side, but that's for a different topic. What software, tools, tricks, hacks would you, if I just asked you, like, what are the top three hacks you could give somebody if they want to sell products online? Today, with today's technology and today's environment, what are some of those little tools or hacks or software products that exist out there that you rely on and coach your, your, co your coaches the most on? Yeah, it's a good question. The first thing I do is say, forget the tech. I literally forget the tech because everybody gets caught up straight away with the technology. And this is where 99% of e-com businesses fail. Mm. What happens is people will go to Shopify, which is the biggest e-com platform out there at the moment. And a great platform, actually. It's not a bad platform. And it's cheap. It's 80 bucks a month and you can create an e-com website. And you're like, okay, I can do that. I'll go and set up a website. 
And there'll be all kinds of articles around Shopify and on forums and all kinds of things from story, stories of people that have gone, I just set up a Shopify store. I went over to AliExpress. I found a product on there, which was really cheap. I put it on the website, on my website. It was really easy to do. And so I'm buying, I always use sunglasses as an example, but I buy these sunglasses from AliExpress for 80 cents a pair. I'm selling them on my website for 25 bucks. That's a massive profit margin. I'm running Facebook ads to my website and therefore I'm getting sales. I don't even hold inventory because they ship straight from China to my client. It sounds brilliant on a piece of paper because who would not like that kind of profit margin? The reality of it is that it's focused on the tech. Everyone's focused on that principle, that idea. And there's 20 million websites all doing the same thing. So you become very beige very quickly and no one's buying a dang thing from your website. And so the biggest problem you hear from e-commerce startups is I've got traffic, but I've got no sales. So people know how to build a website. They know how to run Facebook ads to get traffic to their website because you can learn that within half an hour. I'm not saying you'll be great at it, but you can learn it within half an hour. So getting traffic to your website is now a lot more straightforward, but no one's buying a thing off their website. And so within three to four months, it's gone. So I would flip it on its head if I was going to answer your question. Okay. So the first thing I always tell clients to think about, the first, very first thing is, do you have a product that people actually want to buy? Um, and if you've not spent the time to research that product and to really understand that product, because I think for me, when I think about stuff that I want to sell online, it, there has to be two criteria. One, there has to be high demand for that product. So people want to buy it for a start. Along with that can come competition. So I need to bear that in mind. I'm not afraid of competition. I just need to understand what it is I'm playing against. And the second thing that I need to make sure that I can understand about a product or sorry, the second thing that a product has to have for me is that I have to have the ability to know a lot about that product. So I'm looking for products where there's high demand and high knowledge on my part. And if I don't know anything about it right now, can I quickly, easily learn about it? Because the only way you're really going to differentiate on your website if you're selling a product is in your content, is in your sales pattern, it's in how you talk about and describe that product. So if all you are is a commodity site where there's just a very plain vanilla description of your product, why will people buy from you? They're not going to. They're going to buy from Amazon because they're a commodity website and they do it so much better than you do. But the way that you beat Amazon at their own game is you just say, I'm not necessarily just going to focus on being a commodity. It's a bit like going to a huge supermarket like Walmart versus, I don't know, a, a deli. They both sell olives, but there's two very different experiences, two very different markets, two very different customer types. And I think if you know about your product, I know if I walk into my local butcher here in the UK or my local florist, they're going to know they're going to know everything inside and out about that product. Whereas I can buy the same product for half the price cheaper from a supermarket, but I don't get that experience. I don't get someone telling me what it is I should do. And so you have to have that with your products, high knowledge, high demand. And that's where you have to start. So you've got to spend the time researching the products. You've got to understand what it is that you're selling. And what cross-sells and upsells can you throw onto that? And for me, once you understand that and you understand the second thing, which is who is your ideal customer? Who are you marketing to? What's their story? How are you going to market to them? How are you going to build brand? How are you going to stand out and differentiate? Once you understand those two things, then you can move on to the shiny tech because that will determine your shiny tech, actually. But they're the first two things you have to start with.
Okay. You said two things, but I got a lot more than two. I got, you got to make sure the product has high demand. You got to see what the competition is doing to sell this product and see how they're presenting it and what they're doing. You need to have some level of expert knowledge about your product and can you learn it or do you have it already? And you cannot treat your product like a commodity. Otherwise people just go to Amazon. You have to Mm -hmm. build content around it and knowledge around it and experience Mm -hmm. around it where people want to buy it from you. And you also need to figure out how to communicate with them in order to upsell and provide different channels for that particular client base. You need to know who your client is. So there's a lot there. And now can you answer my tech? Because now I'm, now I'm curious. Let's say I have all of that done. You, and you may say, well, John, it depends. If you're doing this, it's here. And if you're doing this, it's there. But I'm just curious, are there some best in practice e-commerce tools or softwares that you use that you like, you know what, these are some two or three of the best in class. And maybe we haven't even heard of them before, but they're mm-hmm. like up and coming tools that can help you perform better in e-com. So when it comes to e-commerce, there are several things you have to think about. Obviously, one is your e-commerce platform. And the best in class by far is Shopify. There are some, there are a lot of up and coming brands in that area that I would be paying attention to. But Shopify for now is the key one. I'd forget word. Press, WooCommerce. You could look at something like Squarespace or Wix, but I think Shopify is the key one for me. That's probably the where ninety five percent of people should go. If I'm honest, the other thing that you definitely want to think about is your email marketing because email marketing still accounts for thirty to forty percent of your revenue. And if it's not accounting for thirty forty percent of your revenue, you're either not doing email marketing or you're doing it wrong. Unless it's accounting for eighty percent, in which case you've cracked the code and please share it with the rest of us. Yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, email marketing should still be your main marketing tool by far. Oh. I always say when it comes to e-commerce marketing, digital marketing for me is about the consistent use of proven principles. So what can I consistently do that has been proven? All too often people come to e-commerce or the people in e-commerce, somebody will give them the latest shiny object and people will flock to it and it doesn't work. You've seen things like spinning wheels, spin the wheel and win a prize on the website. What an utter waste of time, totally frustrating. And unless you're like the 3% of product websites that maybe that works for, but certainly not at my website. I just know it doesn't make sense for my customers at all. Um, So I tend to avoid the silver bullets, but I think you, so you've got to have a good email marketing system. That's a proven principle of marketing is that constant communication. So that would be something that I would look at. The next thing I would look at, like we've, the last year we've been using a product called Omnicom. Omniconvert is a dashboard that connects to your um, e-commerce store. And especially if you're turning over, probably I would say at least a million, if you're turning if you're doing, if you've got a reasonable number of customers coming into your store, what OmniConvert does is it gives you the dashboards, but it breaks down your customers into RFM segmentation. I don't know if you've come across this, the recency, yep. frequency, monetary value segmentation. Nice. That then synchronizes with Facebook. And so you can find who all your best customers are, sync that data to Facebook, run lookalike audiences off the basis of those customers and target similar customers for your marketing, which makes your Facebook ads so much more effective. And so I've been really impressed with OmniConvert. I've been playing around with a piece of software. I'd say I've been playing around with, to be fair, I've not done a thing, but there's a company we've been working with called OptiMonk, which is bit, which is run by a guy called Jabba over in Hungary, who is an absolute legend. He was like, Matt, I'm so convinced our software's 
good and i want because we have the e-commerce we have a podcast that we talk about all these kind of things he was like i want you i want to do i want to show you how it works so you'll talk about it on your podcast and tell people how good it is and so he's had his team working on op website optimization and conversion on one of our e-com sites they're writing case studies about it now so he's a great guy so optimum's a great product to check out yeah there's so much we could <laughs> no that's great thank you going. You know, on your LinkedIn that I read before we got on, you have that your business takes away the pain and uncertainty of running an e-commerce business. And I wanted to learn more about what is the pain and uncertainty that you're referencing there? Can you describe what that is? And what is it that you do to relieve that for the people who work with you? Oh, wow. That's a very good question. Hey. The pain and uncertainty of e-commerce. Now, if you think about what's going on here, for most people running an e-commerce business, it's normally in addition to something else, right? Let's say if I go back to the doctors, the medical practice is an example. So their main business is still seeing patients. So whatever they do online is in addition to that service. And so the problem that you've got, if you say to a doctor who's running a medical practice, right, doctor, you need to think now about e-commerce. What can you sell online? And then you need to figure that out. How they, how are you going to fulfill it? You're talking a language which just does not make sense, right? And it's actually quite scary. And you, you could be starting an e-commerce, your eBay side business. You could be doing it around the kitchen table or whatever. And you, the trouble is when you look at an e-commerce and you go, I'm starting this business, what do I do? There's 25 million people all telling you what to do. And it's all different. And everybody's recommending you use this bit of software, that bit of software. And so it's utterly confusing. You just, you look at it and go, I don't know who to believe. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to trust. And then as you start to get some kind of traction in e-commerce, everything's changed again because that's the nature of digital. In every 18 months, it's invented itself. So 18 months ago, we weren't talking about AI and what the implications of AI were on your e-commerce business. 18 months ago, we were asking people, have you got a store on, is your store mobile optimized? <laughs> and it's now we've got AI involved and you're like, hang on a minute. So technology is constantly evolving and there is that constant pain that you go through because you just about get settled. And then some bright spark comes across, comes along and says, you know, that website you did two years ago, it's out of date now because of this, that, and the other. So we now need to redevelop it. And you're just like, man, this thing is constantly moving. Nothing stays still. And so you've always got to adapt, always got to change. And I think it's, if you're not on top of your game, it's easy to get left behind in e-commerce. It really is. And so the way we help clients with that, we do something called the cohort. We do the podcast, which is great. And actually, the, anybody can access a podcast. The podcast is free. We put that out there. And I just, what a great thing to do, <laughs> podcasting. But the other thing we have is we have the cohort. So yes, I could do coaching individually with people, but it's just not going to, there's only so many hours I have in the day. So we do the mastermind. We do cohort. We do expert workshops every month, which bring the latest, best and brightest information to you. So you can learn what that means for your econ business. So next month, we've got Max Sinclair doing a workshop on AI. In fact, I've not watched it yet. He sent it to me yesterday. Um, and where he shows you how to use AI to help you with your e-com business. And you can follow and go, oh, this is brilliant. That's fantastic. So yeah, that's how it works. For me, the pain in e-commerce is knowing what to do and how to do it and trying to stay up with everything because it's so quickly evolving and knowing what to say no to. That's another big question you've got to answer. And then how do I learn? How do I keep up with that? Got it. 
That's clear to me. So the pain is typically keeping up with the speed of change in technology for people whose full-time business is not to do that. And two of the ways that you serve people who you work with is through the cohort groups and your expert workshops. And if people wanted to learn more about how can they be a part of a cohort group or when are the expert workshops, how does that work? What's the website you'd like them to go to learn more? There's a website called ecommercecohort.com. So just go to that website and you can get a seven-day trial on there. I think it's like a dollar for a seven-day trial and you can see what it's like. We use a system called e-commerce cycles, which is in effect our methodology, which we teach you in cohort and show you how to use that in your e-commerce business. It's, so you don't the problem you've got with digital is you're so busy with the day-to-day, with the nine-to-fivers. But if your marketing is doing well, you've got orders coming in, you've got to get them picked, packed and out the door. You haven't really got time to think about anything else. So we wanted cohort to be lightweight. We didn't want it to be overwhelmed. So it had to work in addition to the nine-to-five. And so, yeah, just go to ecommercecohort.com and check that out. It's it's a straightforward mastermind-type group where you'll get you'll continually learn about what I think is important in e-commerce. And that's a critical part. There's a framework which we use We avoid the shiny bullets. We work on what's practical and what's real. And you can can adapt that into your own e-commerce business relatively straightforward and easily. At least I hope you can. Yeah, thank you so much for that and directing us on how people can get more. I'm sure people are going to want more of you as you represented yourself and what you work with entrepreneurs on really well today. Thank you for being on. Oh, it's been an absolute truth. Man, it's flown by, hasn't it? The time just popped. There it went. Thank you, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, I love the two things that Matt talked about that he offers, the cohorts and the expert workshops. Those two angles are brilliant because the cohort side says, hey, we're not the experts at everything. We don't have time to coach everybody. Peer-to-peer and keeping up with things is really valuable. And then there's the other side of it that says, we do have connections to some experts. We do have the way to do it in these smaller areas. We're going to hook you up with both the peer-to-peer and with experts. I think that two-prong approach is brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Philosophically, if you take e out of the question for this conversation and just assume this is just a, an entrepreneur talking about how to maximize their reach and scope of their business, the core philosophy here is how can your business run with minimal effort for you so by that your business continues to generate revenues and profits when you're not there? Whether you're sleeping, on vacation, or not focused on it, That is ultimately every entrepreneur's dream, to turn your business into a passive investment because you set it up so successfully. Matt chooses e-com to do that. Entrepreneurs can choose other businesses and practices where they build it up in such a foundational component with their team and the systems and processes where they can step away and the business continues to generate. There's two different ways to do it. The other thing that was struck me in this conversation is Initially, I was thinking Matt was talking about just products, selling potentially some health products or small, repeatable, easy to purchase products. But as the conversation went on, it was more than that. It was how can your business really have an e-com environment for potentially also selling time, selling services, cohorts, or other things of that nature, which I thought expanded my horizon a little bit in this conversation. Well, and I loved where he went on my question about give some examples. And where he went to was, Pretty much any business can these days accept payment online. 
So if there's any business that's not doing that, there's an opportunity. Pretty much any business these days should be able to accept appointments online. If there are businesses that are still not allowing that to happen digitally and they require voice-to-voice, there's not even an option to book an appointment online. I think it's being missed if somebody's not making that available. Customers want that. They want the control. They want to look at the schedule compared to theirs. They don't want to talk to a person. And I think this is going to continue more and more as technology continues to develop. And as I look at our kids, ours is in years of mine, and they don't want to talk to people. I'll tell you what I heard just fairly recently is one of our kids was proud that she was the one of her friends that made the phone call to order a pizza because her friends didn't want to talk to a human. Yep. That's where <laughs> we're going. We've got to make it easy for people to set an appointment with us and pay us. That seems like table stakes these days. It does seem silly when you think about it, right? I won't even go to a haircut somewhere where I can't make a reservation online to know that I can actually get in. Same thing with ordering pizza, same thing with going to a restaurant, same thing with anything. So you do need to have an e-com view to your business uh, in in any way, right? Whether it be appointment setting, whether it be selling or booking times, whether it be selling products or services, or people just letting, allowing them to register for the service, even if it is a time based exchange. I think it's something that's going to continue to come hard. The other piece too, Rich, that you talked about that I find completely fascinating. I don't know if you've even scratched the surface on this yet is the whole AI component of what's happening. It is bananas what is happening with AI and how that's going to change the whole game because you literally could have someone create all of your content marketing for you and have a site that has the products on it and how that's going to change. You talked about having a guest speaker coming to talk to his e-com clients about how AI is going to change e-commerce. I find that to be completely fascinating. Don't know enough about it, but it seems like it's going to come fast and heavy. Fascinating and potentially threatening for a lot of people who are relied on these days where technology is going to continue to be relied on more in the future. Yeah. Last thing I'll highlight here, John, is what he called the Showhammer methodology. It turns out that Stefan Showhammer is the one that talked to him about it on a napkin. But you highlighted it well when you recapped it with him and the business you and I were in together on this boom bust of big jobs. I'll also say with our franchise owners at Certipro, that's the whole basis of having a residential business with these yeah. small job sizes to have cash flow stable. And then commercial is on top with these big boom and bust with a stable business underneath. Yeah. I never really thought about it until he described it that way that every business has an opportunity to figure out what is their stable income that are quick, repeatable sales to stabilize cash flow and then allow the boom bust to happen on top of a stable financial business? I thought that was great. And kudos to Stefan Shawhammer for sure. 